Live, live from the Toad Hop Network Studios in Hollywood. This, this is the ToadHopNetwork.com. It is strongly addictive. Radio worth watching. Radio worth watching. This is Vox Populi. Vox Populi. The voice of the occasionally interested people. A political talk show for people who don't spend a lot of time talking politics. The only agenda. Understand, inform, and entertain. Now, here's your host, Sean Astin. Good evening, everyone. Microphone set here. Good evening. And welcome to a special edition of Vox Populi, Voice of the Occasionally Interested People. Uh, the topic this evening is Syria and the contemplated uh, U.S. military action. Um, what a day it has been. What a news day. It is, um, I can only imagine what the news directors of the big... Uh, companies and the editors are, are doing to try and keep up with all that is happening. It's, uh, it's enough to give even a mild-mannered passerby whiplash uh, what's happening on the global stage at the moment. Um, this show has been on hi uh, an extended hiatus as I've been uh, fortunate enough to be working as a professional actor um, and I suppose waiting for a moment to jump back into um, the political and uh, cultural fray. Uh, and I'm so glad that we have this infrastructure in place. The, uh, the Vox Populi Show and the Toad Hop Network, our, uh, our gracious host. And um, that there is an audience, a, a built-in audience of some twelve to 15,000 people that uh, listened regularly for the 35 or so, more or less, uh, episodes that we recorded before the hiatus. And I'm hoping that that, uh, that um, well, let me just say this. I'd like to welcome uh, any and all of you back who are, uh, you know, who've listened to the show before. And also welcome what I know are many, many new listeners um, from here at home and around the world that have been following my uh, very aggressive Twitter campaign to really selfishly um, educate myself about this um, current moment in American international relations and, um, and in um, the life of our country and the life of the Middle East. So, you know, I, I carry with me a, a, a kind of working knowledge. I'm, I studied history in American literature and culture at UCLA, so I have a, uh, you know, I could probably get at least a B minus on a geography test. Um, but I've spent the last, uh, I don't know, four or five days almost constantly with my nose buried in and my ears, anything and everything I could get my hands on. And I just want to thank all the, the Twitter followers and the Facebook folks who've posted links to various articles. I also commend your attention the iTunes University, where I've gone to listen to academic lectures uh, from the London School of Economics to uh, University of Chicago and, and you know a dozen others, and really uh, hearing smart, thoughtful, compassionate, caring voices, both from uh, humanitarian um, perspectives, but also from the military military perspective, and and uh, and so I feel like I'm a little bit smarter now than I was before uh, this last week. Uh, and I and as a citizen and as an American, I think it's really important for me to be a little bit smarter now. Um, I've noticed uh, 
again, to sort of further set the context, the President of the United States, uh, upon determining that um, I'm pretty sure everybody listening to this knows what's happening, but to the extent that people who aren't, because this is a show kind of aimed at the uh, at the common man or woman or, or uh, the somewhat sophisticated but maybe not focused uh, listener, I'm pretty sure everyone knows that basically what happened is there's a civil war going on in Syria. Um, according to the Obama administration, uh, on August 21st, um, the Assad regime who is in power – uh, who's embattled in a two-year civil war, um, used for uh, a, a, a larger – had used several times uh, chemical weapons uh, on uh, his opponents, his, the, the, the rebels, and on people and his uh, citizens, civilians in his own uh, country. And uh, according to the Obama administration, used uh, – uh, attacked uh, a suburb of Damascus, and uh, I think it was twelve or fourteen hundred people were killed, including four hundred plus uh, children. And there's video footage that has been released by the Obama administration um, that apparently shows uh, the effects of this this attack. So, uh, in response to that, President Obama has um, has uh, asked Congress, the United States Congress, for um, and these words are chosen carefully for approval. Um, not authority, because according to the uh, president and according to analysts, historians, and so forth, uh, the president of the United States doesn't need to ask for authority to c- uh, commit certain um, uh, uh, military acts. Um, but uh, but he wants – he's seeking the support, a sort of de- uh, a declaration of support from the Congress for uh, what he characterizes, what the administration is characterizing as a limited attack um, designed to um, uh, de- degrade and deter um, the chemical stockpile weapons uh, from being deployed uh, that are in Syria's uh, control. Um, a, st- a stunning sort of a f- set of um, – a turn of events – um, in the American political landscape, given the last um, ten years, uh, it's almost impossible to start talking about this without getting tied up in knots, explaining a little bit about the history, American history, uh, recent military history in the Middle East. I mean, going back to um, the uh, you know the Bush administration supplying chemical weapons to, or you know, really kind of. Um, facilitating the development of chemical weapons for Saddam Hussein to fight against the Iranians in that war uh, all the way to um, to now. So rather than sort of give a history lesson, rather than um, uh, try and do um, what the major news organizations are having such a hard time doing, which is sort of making simple and clear for the, the average American who are now being asked through their representatives to give a thumbs up or a thumbs down to this uh, use of – to this launching of, of um, missiles and, and uh, bombardments uh, onto chemical weapons stores and, and other supporting things like uh, air, uh, air bases or, or whatever else the so, quote-unquote targets are of opportunity that the military has identified. Rather than try and do that, let me just say – What's happened today is shocking. Apparently, the uh, a Russian diplomat floated the notion, whether in response to our own Secretary of State's comments of earlier in the day, um, that the way to stop an American m- military attack would be to immediately surrender all the chemical weapons stockpiles and put them under uh, international 
control, the control of the international community, which he, which Senator Kerry then sort of, you know, sort of scoffed and said that was impossible and couldn't happen. But then apparently a Russian diplomat uh, offered to a Syrian diplomat this notion that uh, perhaps they should do that, have their chemical weapons stores be put under uh, international control. And the Syrian diplomat apparently demurred to which Hillary Clinton in the uh, at the White House for some totally unrelated thing, uh, then gives a statement of support to the concept. And then President Obama, who's doing a battery of five or six interviews with all the major news networks, uh, also gives his sort of adjusts the policy that he's been stating and says that, well, maybe we'll aggressively go on a track of seeing if this is a legitimate um, offer by the Russians. And and uh, holy cow, it's just a jump ball in international relations for anybody who's um, trying to, to follow what's happening. The United States Congress uh, is in the middle of trying to absorb the classified data they're being shown and asked to speak publicly and give their opinion and to vote in the coming day, two, three, four, five this week on whether or not to uh, approve the president's military action. It's, it's, it's stunning. It's absolutely stunning what's happening. Um, the detractors of President Obama are sounding, um, uh, you know, it, it, it's a lot easier to hear criticism of the president, and that criticism runs along the lines of saying that there isn't a coherent policy in the Middle East from the administration, that the leadership has been uh, very difficult for uh, even people who are following it to understand, and certainly for our friends and foes to understand, and never mind the American people to understand. Um, but then that criticism, I think um, – belies the complexity of the situation and the ever-changing dynamics on the ground. And and so we have uh, a president of the United States who is, um, um, I would say, doing his level best to chart a course of strong leadership. And it's it just is really tricky uh, for anyone to make sense of. So in a moment, we're going to have Buck Sexton, uh, who's a, uh, a former uh, CIA analyst for um, the on the the Iraq desk and a current commentator, um, political commentator, and has a, uh, a a show. Let me just make sure I get this right on the Blaze Network. Um, that is, um, uh, let's see, Iraqi analysis. Oh, oh, in the Counterterrorism Center. Um, actually, let me go to because I think we're going to have him in about two minutes here. Um, the Blaze dot com uh, has the Buck Sexton show. Uh, he's the national security editor for The Blaze. Uh, and the description, the bio description there says he's a fiery libertarian, ex-CIA agent, and NYPD intelligence division, intelligence division specialist. Um, and I, I, this is going to be, I, I think, the most uh, you know, entertaining part of the show when, when he calls in because maybe a dynamic back and forth will, uh, will shed some light on this. I have um, been blessed to conduct interviews this uh, over the last couple of days with um, with several different people, uh, including uh, Robert Deneen, 
um, who is a senior fellow at the Council on Foreign Relations. So we're going to play that um, interview that I conducted yesterday. Also, my good friend Matthew Modine uh, was kind enough to let me uh, bother him, and we have a little uh, interview with him to show. Um, uh, some other new friends from the Twitter sphere that were commended to my attention, uh, Julia Davis, um, who is a uh, is a whistleblower, a national security ex- expert and national security whistleblower, and I had a good chat. And also Michael Kay, who is a, a really interesting uh, Englishman, a former officer, ex- uh, lieutenant colonel in the British Air Force, and uh, and a, um, a fantastic um, uh, person to speak with about these things. So we're going to play these. Um, we're going to play these. Interviews, but first let's go now. I think I have him live on the air. Uh, Buck, is that you? It is. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for uh, for joining me. I'm uh, I'm all tied up in knots now. I you know I, I I thought I was starting to get a beat on things, and then the news started today. And uh, man, you you know it's what, what do you make of the day's events? I think you're no more surprised than the Obama administration is, to be honest with you. Despite their best efforts, they may have figured out a policy that solves the uh, the current impasse. It seems like they have backed into something of a solution. Uh, it's not confidence-inspiring that their smartest policy move on this whole Syria strike or no-strike situation seems to have almost been done by accident. But anything that gets them, in my, in my opinion, I'm somebody who opposes uh, this sort of military strike and I want to be very clear. No one's uh, certain on what the military strike would be, what it would entail, what it would look like. But in a general concept, I think it's a bad idea. So if they manage to use this to push it back um, and eventually not do anything, I think that's probably the best situation, although I doubt it because I think that, quite honestly, Assad is just playing for time. Well, regardless of what Assad is doing, the Russian government, is there any way in which the Russian government, who voted several times in the United Nations Security Council against such things as putting out a statement that any use of chemical weapons, whoever was responsible for it, is, you know, uh, uh, deserving of condemnation. Is that is, is that government? It's got to be a delaying tactic. I don't mean to be – I'm an optimist, and, I, and I'm a, uh, I, I believe in uh, a robust search for peaceful solutions to every situation. But boy, oh boy, I mean, what today looks like a, a win for the Obama administration because it can rightfully claim that this would not have happened were it not for the threat of violence. Boy, tomorrow it's going to look like, geez, are we, um, you know, are we, you know, are we just getting jerked around by, by I mean, how would it work? How yeah, would I'm it a, work? I'm a, I'm a proud pessimist uh, on international relations issues, and that I think comes from having worked in the, in the CIA. Look, the Russians have been playing spoiler all along. I mean, that hasn't changed. Uh, Putin views all foreign policy interactions with the United States, uh, United States as essentially a zero-sum game in which either we benefit or they benefit. And really, there's very little mutually beneficial ground. On Syria, they have this sort of, um, I shouldn't say latent, it's sort of imperial ambitions on hiatus. Uh, Russia still thinks of itself as a great power that's perhaps uh, in a little bit of a downturn, but they have a tremendous amount of fossil fuel wealth. They have a, uh, still have a very large nuclear stockpile, and they have sort of grandiose ambitions and expectations for themselves on the world stage. By making us twist in knots and look foolish, I think, Putin, which, which they've managed to do, Putin, I think, serves the purposes that he's looking to in this whole situation. They're not going to 
I mean, fundamentally, this whole notion that there's going to be uh, international, that'll take months uh, for this thing to actually come about. I mean, this is, and it, it obviously has shades of Iraq and, and the weapons of mass destruction there and the inspectors and UN inspectors and what do they have? Well, let's, let's start so from the, gonna... let's start from the, let's build, let's build a little foundation here for our conversation. Number one, how, how confident do you feel or should the American public feel or should Congress feel about the conclusion that the administration has reached that this chemical weapons attacks and the smaller chemical weapons attacks in the days before it or weeks before it are actually attributable to the Assad regime and or Assad himself? Well, I have very, I mean, I have very high confidence in it just because for the, and I've heard a lot, and a lot of people like to sound sort of fancy on uh, these national security issues. They use the term false flag. Everything is a false flag. Uh, the reality is that if the rebels, uh, and by the way, we should really refer to them as insurgents, I think, is a, probably a better term. Uh, but if the if the insurgents or rebels um, were to use chemical weapons against this population in Ghouta, east of east of Damascus, and that came out, I mean, they would be their whole cause would essentially be defeated. I mean, right now they have jihadists flowing there from all over the world. They have uh, Sunni Arab states, the uh, Saudi Arabia, the Gulf states. Uh, all of them piling in money, personnel, and, and everything they can to help these rebel groups. If they did this, I mean, it's such a it's such a gamble, right? Um, and even knowing that the U.S. may not get involved even after this, which we've seen, I think now is probably the case. So it just much more it just makes much more sense for the Assad regime that feels like its back is up against the wall that has these stockpiles to use them. And I think that you have to believe that the intelligence agencies of all the major Western powers are wrong on this issue, which has happened before, by the way. But for it to happen twice, I think, would be even more of an outlier. Does the fact that the Russian government or the Russian minister who suggested they put their stockpile, uh, they might put their stockpile of chemical weapons under the internet, some sort of international control, is that does that mean that the are the Russians going into agreement with assigning responsibility for it to the Syrians, or they sort of, they, I, Putin would probably say, you know, well, you know, just just to, you know, pacify people so they don't, you know, the, the West doesn't jump in militarily, let's just do that as a matter of, you know, just comment, you know, are they, I sort of thought, great, well, if they now agree that Assad did, because there is a strain of thought that I'm sure is going through the, the body politic of the United Nations and through uh, a lot of the people who really oppose this conflict in the United States, uh, this, 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 you know, uh, contemplated action in the United States. Like, are we sure? Are we sure we got it? So you're basic. What I hear you saying is, it, we we can be, we can be pretty confident that that Assad used these chemical weapons. Yeah, I, I think we're confident that Assad uses chemical weapons. I'm much less confident that the current uh, offer that's on the table for the uh, regime stockpiles to be under some international community mandate is a serious offer and is going to come to anything. It also, though, you know, the Obama administration is ever bit as desperate to walk back from this red line as the Russians are to make sure that the Assad regime essentially stays in place in power in Syria. Uh, when you look at the policy as it stands right now, there there are problems here. Even if let's just take this at face value, there's this offer on the table. They were supposed to be punishing usage of these weapons. That was part of Obama's stated mandate here. It's oh well, these the usage of these weapons cannot go unpunished. Well. Turning them over is really not much of a punishment, is it? The whole notion that if you do this, there will be consequences to your uh, military capabilities, there will be consequences to your regime. So that would be off the table automatically. And it also brings us back to just the uh, the calculation they've made the whole time 
which is that somehow it's not the war that we're worried about. It's not 100,000-plus dead. It's the usage of these weapons in one instance. And if we can do something that somehow prevents that, that's worthwhile. But don't worry, we're not going to try to stop the war. It's just so murky, incoherent, and, and honestly, I think, discombobulated. Right, well, for, the, for the sake of our something, they're desperate for some way to bail out of this whole thing. For the sake of our conversation, let's let's pull out a couple. Let's separate out a couple of threads. Um, punishment being a, uh, you know an interesting concept in and of itself. If is it is it possible? Okay, so let's so we take for granted that yes, um, it's the Assad regime who used this, and now the world has to decide what, if anything, it wants to do about it. Um, is it possible? You know, if you if you if someone's got X amount of uh, sarin gas and you successfully destroy some portion of that, then the regime has that much less of that uh, of that chemical weapon to deploy. So my point is, rather than sending a message, which is a kind of metaphor, or you know, or indicating to Tehran, or you know, or letting Pyongyang see, you know, rather than no, you're actually are they're talking about actually degrading a certain amount of the guy's actual capacity to use those. So if he could kill, you know, 100,000 people with with that, maybe now he only has enough to kill 10,000 people. I mean, I'm just using random numbers, but but that the distinction between you know, between a military action used, you know, for something literal versus something uh, so no, I, I see I see where you're, I see where you're going and there, there are two immediate things that I think you have to tackle with if you're going to take that approach, which is if we can do anything to limit his ability to kill huge amounts of people in an incredibly gruesome, brutal, and inhumane way, shouldn't we do that, irrespective of whether it's sort of all in or it's, it's the fight is to punish in the international community's eyes and what have you. And there are two things that come up. One is that you can kill a whole lot of people with artillery rounds, AK-47, planes, I mean, the things he's already been doing. And, you know, death is death. And if you're looking at this from a moral humanitarian perspective, there's only so much, I think, that you should be focusing on his inability or ability to kill people with gas, which then brings you to the, the main issue you raise, I think, which is if we can make less gas, essentially, or if we can take more of that capability to deploy sarin um, and other gas, but against the X, he has all kinds of stuff out of his hands. Isn't that inherently a good thing? Yes, it would be. However, how much of that stuff does he have? Where is it? Who's going to certify that it's all been turned over? Who's going to say, okay, it's good, guys, don't worry. He doesn't have CWK ability anymore. Keep in mind, the war's been going on for two years. He's used it maybe twice, as far as we know, only one time. Oh, I thought, that, I thought they said that. five or six times. I thought I've been reading. Oh, I mean, it, it depends on whose estimate you want to. I mean, no, I'm talking know, about the administra official administration, uh, you know, uh, uh, assertion. You know, it's this Secretary of State testified before Congress that on several occasions, four, five, six occasions, that in smaller amounts they've been used, even more. Well, Actually, that, I think they said you, 10 When you're talking about the deployment of chemical weapon, saying four, five, or six to Secretary of State, I mean, let me tell you something. I've been on the inside of this machinery. They don't know what they don't know. I mean, this brings you back to Rumsfeld's unknown unknowns, which are the really scary things you hmm. think about in these cases. They can't confirm in, those, in, in, in many of those cases. Uh, or not many, because there's not that many, but in a few of those cases, whether it actually happened or not, I mean, they're really hanging their hat on the one instance in Gouda of 1,400-plus dead. Yeah. The rest of them were obviously much, much smaller scale. So 
Uh, you know, and also then you get into discussions as to well, what constitutes a chemical weapon, and there's been some other stuff that they've used. But fundamentally, what, we're so focused on this chemical weapons issue because the Obama administration has made that the core issue, whereas really this is an issue about a civil war and whether the U.S. has any role in trying to do something to dampen it down, to, to make it stop, to slow it, to, to make less casualties, to make room for refugees. And those are the serious conversations. All this other stuff is, quite honestly, a lot of moral preening from Obama and his senior-most advisors who are of the political stripe and not the military stripe. Well, all right. Let me um, let me let me expand, uh, or, or let me let me pull on another another thread, which is our own um, frustratingly complex, murky, and really colored uh, national record, or or uh, you know, about. Um, the use or the support of these kind of things, even in recent uh, in recent memory. So, um, if we look at, uh, you know, I mean, the the Saddam Hussein's use of chemical weapons in the war in uh, the Iraq Iran War, and how much money and other support uh, he was given by uh, the Reagan and then Bush administrations. Mm -hmm. uh, so we have we we you know, and then uh, so so. What I'm really, what I've really been trying to sort through is. Are you, are you looking at sort of the moral, the moral inconsistency of U.S. foreign policy? Is that is that essentially? That, yes, that and sometimes and, we do, sometimes we don't. That's exactly what I'm I'm getting at, and 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 whether or not, I mean, obviously, any moral case that we'd make for action, and the moral case that that uh, that that uh, Harry Reid was making on the floor of the Senate today, or that any of our administration officials were making over the last week, uh, it has to be. You know, colored or shaded within the context of our of our own uh, of our own. Yeah, well, you said moral moral inconsistency. But the question is, should as we think about whether or not to support a potential con uh, a military attack here in in Syria on the basis of chemical weapons, is it is are are we entitled? You know, are, are, sh do we have the right? Uh, to, to try and shore up the moral ground that we want to stand on based on acting correctly going forward, or are we just sort of crippled by our our past and, and our inability to, to – I mean I guess the CIA uh, is sort of saying that, yes, we tried to destabilize uh, uh, you know, the government in, in Iran. <laughs> you know, we're, we're slowly starting to cop to some of the crap that we do, but, but – are we are we um, are we crippled by our own past in terms of taking out the moral high ground now? I think it certainly informs the present discussion in a way that's very important to look at. You know, you have a, a, a large segment of sort of the American institutional left. I'd say, you know, when Harry Reid and Nancy Pelosi are saying, "Oh, it's time to go to war," you get a sense that it may be political, it may be partisan, not necessarily about national security interests. That's certainly where, where I come down on this. In terms of when we do and when we don't, I'd, I'd, I'd say that. maybe idea. You know, that there may be some idealism. I don't like to to at, at, when these things come to. I mean, these people are going to have. They'll be out of office someday, and they're going to have to look in the mirror and talk to their grandkids, and you know, be able to go to sleep at night when they've when they've advocated for you know killing. And and in this even even the best possible scenario of a military attack, there's going to be collateral damage. Innocent people are going to die, and we will have we will have participated in that as a country. Well, yeah, we, you're getting at the the inherent. Uh, problems involved in sort of a, a Wilsonian worldview and a Wilsonian foreign policy. I mean, it stretches way back to even before 
Mossadegh in Iran and, and what we did there. I mean, you can go back to Woodrow Wilson, the First World War. You look at this notion of making uh, the world safer and making people safer by killing a whole lot of people in the process. And this is something that I think is at the core of a lot of sort of the uh, progressive left philosophy with regard to international relations. It should be multilateral. It should be R2P, responsibility to protect, which is, uh, of course, now Samantha Power, who is uh, at the UN. That's, that's her whole brainchild. Actually, it's all about R2P in, in Libya. Uh, but the fact of the matter is that anything that we do in Syria that would have an impact on the battlefield, meaning it would slow Assad's ability to kill people, would do two things that the Obama administration is fundamentally, it seems, unwilling to do. One, kill a bunch of people in the process. It would kill people on the ground in Syria who are Assad troops and innocent civilians as well. And it would also empower the other side to kill people because they would have the strategic and uh, offensive momentum. So that's a big problem. Um, and if they were serious about the moral dynamics here, if they were honestly all concerned with saving the children in Syria, which is something they've made lots of noise about the past week, we would be hearing from them, or we should have been hearing from them, over the past uh, two years when over 100,000 people have died, and not in this one instance because Obama feels put upon, because everyone's saying, look, you drew this red line, this is ridiculous, you look buffoonish, so now it's, oh, we're going to do something, but it's not very big. So do you think that red line is a foolish red line, the, di the distinction between a chemical weapon that kills 1,400 and, and you know, 100,000? And by the way, a lot of the uh, Syrian folks that I've talked to have said, you know, remember, half of that or some large number of that is, is Syrians, uh, the, 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 uh, the Assad regime uh, supporters and regime itself that, that, are, that are included in that number of 100,000. So um, but but is that distinction unimportant? I mean, what, what, it, There's a distinction, but I mean, the distinction traditionally, uh, there is a mechanism for this. I mean, I'm fond of saying the multilateralism kills, uh, meaning that when you refer to things to the UN, when you hope that the UN's going to bail you out of either Rwanda or Bosnia or any of these situations we've seen that are horrific beyond words, you just end up with a lot of dead people and a lot of feckless you know, bureaucrats saying, sorry, I guess next time we'll do better, right? So multilateralism is the espoused uh, preference of the Obama administration. It's what President Obama himself would like to see more of in the world. But there's an issue here, which is that the U.S. will be sort of going it alone unless they go through the processes of the U.N. Security Council, where they can't get anything through because of Russia and China. They could submit this to the International Criminal Court, the ICC, for war crimes, which would be interesting because the U.S. is not a signatory. So there are all of these issues that come up with drawing this line and then arbitrarily enforcing it, unilaterally enforcing it, I should say, as the United States. If this is truly an international community problem, it's incumbent on the international community to enforce the red line. And if Obama is speaking for the international community, which he himself recently claimed to have been doing, then I think we see why the current policy seems so sort of strange. And there is no dramatic U.S. national security interest involved. This isn't really about humanitarianism because we don't care about the 100,000 dead. We only care about the 1,400 dead. And we're not going to do enough to prevent Assad from doing this again. So you get to this very unsettling and uncomfortable place, which is that this is all about domestic politics. And this is about how the administration looks. And if you're going to lob missiles because you look a certain way, you might as well call yourself Bill Clinton, blow up an aspirin factory and say this is because of Monica. Wow. Well, <laughs> wow. The uh, Okay, so, you know, my uh, my... Uh, I'm a funny guy, but I, my head gets so focused and concentrated on this. Let, let me, let me come at it from this way with you. And I, I really appreciate your alacrity with this stuff and, and your, um, and so I want to, I, I want to keep, 
you know, I don't know how much longer you've, I've got you for, but I just want to keep pushing a little bit. It seems to me, it, it, it seems too easy to to throw down the uh, the politics card. So to me, what what I kind of got out of this moment was the Arab League is trying to do things. There's the uh, the, the the Iranians have a um, uh, a pact with with the Syrians, uh, uh, you know, uh, that that if you know. That can be that can be triggered if they're if if Syria's attacked from the outside. But I get this and the and the you know Syria's a client state of Russia. There's there's all these kind of things that are out there. And you talk about NATO and we talk about United Nations and we talk about all these other little things. I got this sense that it was finally you know in, in military par- parlance like an actionable thing within international law as far as Obama could assert that, like, okay, you finally used chemical weapons. We finally got this norm that we can hang our hat on. Now this, you know, everybody accuses me of not having a coherent, not having a strong enough policy when it comes to Benghazi, when it comes to, you know, uh, you know w- any of these, uh, you know, complex Arab Spring fallout kind of scenarios. At least now I can do something. There's international law. If, the, if, if uh, I, can, I can demonstrate leadership here and people are going to have to decide for themselves whether they want to uh, be judged by history is not supporting, you know, a, a, a world leader who wants to go after chemical weapons. So the distinction, which seems completely inane at the moment, when you got a hundred thousand dead people and you're looking at fourteen hundred, like my gosh, it doesn't matter. Let's do, let's find some other way, diplomatically, whatever, to stop this. Is there? I mean, can can you give? Can you get any points for for seizing on that uh, potential international law opportunity, whether you agree that he's right with it or not? Look, I appreciate your efforts to be fair-minded about uh, President Obama's reaction to this, and, and as Commander in Chief, uh, you know, heavy is the head that wears the crown. I, I understand that, and, and I, I make allowances for that to some degree. But there are two things, and also I should just insert that there are Republicans who are very much. When I say this is partisan and political, that's not just me piling on one side of the aisle. There are Republicans who look. John McCain hasn't seen a sandy country in recent years that he didn't think was probably worth bombing at some point. I mean, there are. Republicans who absolutely want to be more involved here, they think it will send a message to Iran, which is amazing because if we want to send that kind of message to Iran, we should probably just bomb Iran, which I also don't advocate. But um, on this notion of Obama drawing the line now and how it's better to find, you know, he can hang his hat and everything else, I'm with you, Sean, if now Obama said, we're stopping this bloodshed. This is too much. We're going in. We're going to stop this thing. We're going to get NATO behind us. It's going to be like Libya, and we're going to take casualties. And if he was serious about it, now well, I think it's an interesting game of poker. I think that would be a terrible idea, but that would be the morally serious idea. What he's doing is saying, "Oh, I said this. I don't want to look foolish here, so I'm going to do something." To quote his Secretary of State, "Unbelievably small." The response. It's going to be unbelievably small. It'll be, it's sort of like what a nurse tells you before you get your, uh, your shot, right? It's like, oh, it's just going to sting for a minute. <laughs> well, we've got, it either matters or it doesn't. You know, we're either doing something worth doing or we're not. And trying to split the middle on this issue just shows that they're just hoping for some semblance of command and control here. They just don't know. I show them they just fundamentally don't know what they're doing. I'll just be honest with you. That's my. my it certainly, it certainly feels. Yeah. It certainly feels. Wa- watching the performance of uh, the the White House chief of staff on the Sunday shows and and listening to Kerry, who I like a lot. I know a lot. A lot of people don't like Kerry. I like Kerry. I I appreciate his passion. I appreciate his service uh, and and his knowledge and and his intention and all that kind of stuff. That's that's my personal feeling about about him. But 
boy, they were they were having to carry a lot of water for something that was it's almost like they were just praying that no one would question them so that they could have a stronger hand to play in uh you know on the on the world stage and with the United Nations because it'd be a lot easier for Obama to go to the UN and thunder away saying the American people want me to do this if you you know it, it, rather than at this point what I don't know do you think that the congress should they're just going to not vote now we just look like the sausage of this law or this this approval process is just out there for everybody to chew on it's just terrible we do you, I mean would you advocate them voting up or down you know their support for this idea now and sort of let him well i'll tell you this if i were in congress uh, i would say that if the president as he does claims that he has the full authority to do this then i would refuse to vote in another way because you know this is not some kind of uh, a joke they're not going to make a mockery of the, the people's representatives in the american congress if it's the commander chief's prerogative he should exercise that prerogative and live with the consequences. I mean, this goes back to the issue of... I think he's ready to do that. I, I don't think it's an idle threat. I think he's ready to live with... I think he feels morally... You know, he wasn't the one who gave Saddam gas to work against the Iranians. He, he feels like, I'm here, this is my moment, and I'm, you know, he's looking at the greatest generation and, and what happened in American history since the or, you know, 1910 or something like that, and he's like, I'm going to... I'll cast my lot here. I don't, I don't think he's bluffing. I mean, I think... Well, let's, let's look at, you know, let's look at the, the, the possibilities of, of action here. And again, I think that you're going to see the Russian offer uh, to help sort of mediate this, uh, and this stockpiled issue, that's going to burn a lot of time off the clock. And that'll waste some time, I think, probably a few days, maybe a few weeks, who knows. But if Obama does what you say, whether Congress votes up or down, he goes forward with some kind of a strike. If it is a, if it's essentially shooting a BB gun at a freight train, which would be the equivalent of a few, um, shooting a few missiles from a destroyer and blowing up, you know, a barracks that may have deployed this stuff or whatever it is, then Assad's going to say, well, that's the best you've got, America, and, and nobody will care. And we've already heard some rumors about that. If he gets serious about it, if he decides that he's really going to send a message which means hurting Assad, you're talking about a guy who people need to understand is a very, very bad guy, irrespective of the recent gassings. Uh, Syria has been on the state sponsor of terrorism list since 1979. The Syrian government has officially, as a tool of policy, backed all sorts of extremists and terrorists and jihadist groups throughout the region. Palestinian jihadists, Hezbollah, you name it. These guys are working them. Al-Qaeda against U.S. forces in Iraq during, uh, during the U.S. involvement in that war. So this is a really, really bad guy. And if you want to send a message to him, it's going to have to be very bloody. And he may respond by, I don't know firing on Tel Aviv. He may respond by having his intel agent take a plane out of the sky. Now you're President Obama. You've involved the U.S. in a conflict in which it has no core immediate national security interests, and you've got, you know, a Lockerbie kind of situation where a jumbo jet's blown up because of a choice you made. That's what he wants to avoid. That's why he goes to Congress, because it doesn't look like this all falls on his shoulders. And I think, quite honestly, uh, that's the main impetus for a lot of his decision-making right now. It's just trying to spread the blame if anything goes wrong. You know, I have a, uh, a uh, three daughters, and my 11-year-old daughter, and they don't, they don't look at the news. They, if I have the news on, they literally scream, turn it off, turn it off. They don't, you know, they just, they can't handle it. My wife now uh, is at a stage of her life where, you know, watching other people suffer vicariously is just too painful for her. So she tries to avoid it as much as, as possible. But, but uh, they, they saw me go into hyper obsessive mode about understanding this, uh, what's happening right now, because I don't know, Congress 
you know, particularly the House of Representatives, when they're asked to do something by the president, I feel like, ooh, they're asking me directly. You know, I'm, if I call my congressional representative, it might mean something. Um, you know, so so well, I, I I appreciate your passion. I wish I wish more people were throwing themselves fully into figuring this out. There's a very depressing uh, some news analysis about how I think uh, the Miley Cyrus story recently. You know, during its uh, cycle, got like six or twelve times as many clicks on the internet as anything having to do with Syria. So, huh. well, I don't. I, my daughter, my oldest daughter, showed me that story. So that only took a second, though. But the, um, but my point, what I was going to say about my eleven-year-old was when she heard what I was doing and she heard the word war, she she doesn't have any kind of like mechanism for dealing with that. She just. Screamed, what, what, what war, what war? You know, I was like, no, it's not, it's fine. And she was like, well, are, is it going to come here? Or is anybody going to hurt me? Is anybody going to hurt us and our family? And, uh, and I, I couldn't just say no. I, you know, Chris, my wife was like wanting to reassure her immediately, like everything's fine. You're going to be fine. It's fine. And I don't want to be alarmist. So I'm like, yeah, you know, listen to mom. She understands. And, but to me, this, the knee jerk immediacy of like, is it going to hurt me? thinking was scary because the the way that she would react to it is turn off the television and i just wonder if our the 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 strain in american feeling that says like i don't want it to come back on me this is not my problem whatever like at some point is that um, you know, and and I I get the breadth of history, I get the complexity and the the moral like you know difficulty that we as Americans have kind of doing this, but at some point, you know, is does the weapons of mass destruction, biological, chemical, and nuclear, does that um, pull down menu? As a as a you know something we study in our schools, our our national defense seminars, in our you know our liberal schools, that do are we missing? Is the world missing an opportunity to jump all over the the evolution of this problem by not finding some way to act together or to follow the president of the United States, who's sort of staking his entire presidency on that concept? Well, uh, you know, the world is a dangerous place. I don't think that this is necessarily uh, a situation where we can draw too many conclusions about, you know, North Korea is a nuclear state, a proliferator. Iran is soon to be, I think, a nuclear state and thereafter will be a proliferator. India and Pakistan, outside of uh, international uh, conventions, have developed nuclear weapons and capabilities. So, you know, the, the, unfortunately, the trend I think is is going in a direction of more nuclear states, not less. But would it be good? Would it be good? Would it be good? Eighteen months from now. Sorry to interrupt. I just I don't want to. Fit, I want you to shape your answer to, with this thought. The would it be good? Eighteen months from now, when there's some major conflict with any of those players, India, Pakistan, Iran, North Korea, whoever, if the world could say, well. Look what happened. Look what the world did in Syria, and that was just chemical weapons on 1,400 people. So imagine the weight of what would happen if, you know, the. You no, know. I, I think unfortunately that's that's a, a rosy view of it. We went into Iraq. Uh, you mentioned the Iran Iraq Iran Iraq war chemical weapons usage. I mean that was at least ostensibly against Iranian troops. Uh, the reality of what happened in uh, Halabja where Saddam gassed Kurds, his own people, his own citizens, so to speak, 
Uh, he gassed them in large numbers. Thousands died, um, and nothing was done specifically about that. Later on, it was used as one of the rationales, and of course, there were too many rationales, and it was a confused rationale overall, I think, for the Iraq invasion. But the fact of the matter is we did get rid of that guy, and he was held to account for that as well as other crimes. And the entire, particularly the Arab world, but the world more generally, um, many people sort of scoffed in America, uh, decided they liked America less, we were a big bully, we were bad. I think it's important, and, and this will sound maybe a little callous, but I think it's important for the world to also have an understanding of what a world without America intervening looks like, what a world without American leadership and without us uh, sort of holding the standard of, of humanity up, uh, what that means. And people will laugh at that and mock it, and they'll think they're clever, and they'll bring up, you know, Allende or something in Chile. But the fact of the matter is we have been a force for good for decades now, a force for stability. And in the case of Syria, everyone turns to us and says, fix this. And I think that Americans as a people and in general kind of want to look back at the world and say, yeah, we tried that in Iraq, and uh, we even tried it in Afghanistan, and we got no gratitude. We were bearing our own men and women in uniform as a result of those actions. And quite honestly, you guys, meaning Syria, need to just figure this thing out on your own. Um, and that's unfortunately the world we live in, I think. So, you know, uh, I just, I wish, again, I, I'm open about the fact that I have a more negative view of these things. But, look, I'm going to follow this closely. I'll be writing something on theblaze.com probably tomorrow. I'm the national security editor there, so I'll put my thoughts down on paper. And I'll be tweeting when does your show, when does your so, show, Sean, I, I, tell I me about your radio you for, show. Uh, What's up? Tell me about your radio show. What time does it air? Is it, it's oh, uh, I'm on I'm on the Blaze Radio Network. I host a show. It's a lot of national security and politics from 12 to 3 Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. So check it out this Saturday. It's on every Saturday for three hours. I got 33 minutes of the time of a really, really smart, very accomplished, thoughtful guy. And uh, I, I, re I just want to say thank you. For uh, for your, yeah, for just for sharing with us, I think the people listening got uh, got their money's worth. <laughs> I, I appreciate it, too, Sean. Thank you very much for having me on. I'll talk to you soon. Bye for now, my friend. All right, there you go, Buck Sexton, um, who has a virulent uh, Twitter following. Uh, so hopefully we uh, we acquitted ourselves uh, for for you folks. Um, uh, it's uh, it's at Buck Sexton, I believe. Uh, I've got that right. Um, so you Twitter folks that are just lighting up the boards there, um, thanks for uh, bringing him to my attention, and, and, and Buck, thank you. Okay, so holy cow. <sighs> so much to think about. Um, moral authority. Moral authority. I think coming out of that conversation, I'm – I'm feeling like saying that moral authority is what you choose to do in a given moment. Um, and if you've got no juice, no credibility to, you know, and what you choose to do in a given moment is followed by no one, then um, what a uh, what a tragic loss of opportunity because we only have a short time on this planet to uh, to make choices to do the right thing. So, um, I have. I think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna play the Matthew Modine uh, uh, interview next. Uh, Matthew uh, sort of needs no introduction, and I think when I I kind of introduce these folks when I'm doing the conversations with them. Um, 
But uh, actually, let me just say, um, I saw some people trying to call through while I was talking about if you want to call in, it's 323-622-8623. And I'll sort of vamp for a minute or two and see if the phone lights up again and, uh, and we'll take a call. Otherwise, I'll go to my, uh, my interview with Matthew. Um, how much do people need to know? before their brain just shuts off and they want to listen to music or they want to go play tennis or do whatever it is that people do that isn't paying attention to um, the um, machinations of, of international conflict. Hold on. I've got a 904 number coming. I think I know who this is going to be too. Hello, hello. This is Vox Populi. You're on the air. Who's this? Hey, Sean. This is Brett. I had a good feeling it would be you, Brett. All right, jump before I play this Matthew Modine interview, let me hear what you got. Uh, I got to say, I, I really enjoyed your your last guest, and uh, you pretty much encapsulated what I I think is our problem. And if we get into this, I don't think that there's a uh, a, a good target. I don't think that there's a uh, uh, an objective that the military really can follow. And I think that uh, as much as there's that moral desire to help. I don't know that considering both the players on both sides of that conflict, how much we could enter into it and, and affect any kind of help um, without getting really bloody. So Brett's thumb is down in terms of uh, supporting, making a statement of support, congressional statement of support uh, for the president's uh, limited I think in the, I think in this case, it, it, it's either we go all in with boots on the ground or we don't go in. I don't think the the notion of lobbying some uh, ordinance at it is going really going to uh, solve anything. And if we go in boots on the ground, it it's going to be you know the worst of it. Well, that's not on the at the moment. That. That's not on the table unless you know it, right. it drags right. on or whatever. So so okay. So you wouldn't authorize if you were uh, if you were a congressperson, you wouldn't vote to authorize or to support that. What uh, give me give me ten seconds on? Do you think there's you think the Russia put your? I think that's probably the best option, to be honest. The only problem is, is that there's going to be a certain amount of egg in the face with that whole red line thing. Which, no, no, no. Uh, he says it, that never, never. If it works, and if is the biggest word in the dictionary, but if this Russia, <laughs> you know, like you know, promoted idea of putting their their chemical weapons under uh, international control, if that works, Obama's presidency is is uh, is legacy is secure. I made a threat. Russia demurred, Syria backed down, the chemical weapons were, were you know, secured, and uh, Bob's your uncle, what are we going to do in Iran now? So, uh, so I, but, but well, I, I, don't, I don't think it worked that way, but I, I would take that solution. I think that that would probably be the, the best that we could get, although, you know, like Buck said, you're not going to be able to police that very well. You know, it, it may end up being more of a gesture, and, and even if you, you said it was the best solution, what's to stop him from making more? You said it was the best possible solution. I, I listen. I'm a, I'm a guy who wants out of out of a out of a pile of excrement. That's the smallest pile. Well, it wasn't even uh, it wasn't even a speck yesterday. So now it's a pile, and I don't know. Maybe That's tomorrow true. it's a, a it's, mountain for it's peace. On the table. It's good to have you back, sir. I'll good to be back. back. To Thanks, Brett. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and play uh, my my conversation with Matthew Modine. Listen, some of these interviews, you know, I recorded them on Skype with a Skype recorder, so they're they're just not great, but um, but they're heartfelt and uh, they're they may be informative. So have a listen to uh, to Matthew and my 
All right, I now have on the line my incredibly good friend and mentor in all things humanitarian, Matthew Modine. Matthew, say hi to the people. Hello, people. <laughs> uh, oh man, I'm I'm uh, I'm great. Family is healthy and strong, which is fantastic. Always, Christine and our three. I don't know if you know, we had a yet another daughter. We just keep having daughters all over the place. But uh, how's uh, how's the B man? How's your your son? Everybody's doing really well. My son is is uh, in Los Angeles trying to be a, a director. He's not trying. He's he's actually accomplishing the goal and working in film production. And my daughter Ruby's doing very well with her music. Oh, Ruby too. That's right. Um, remember, you can tell Bowman to hire me. I'm I'm available as a professional actor. Yeah, we're all going to hire you. <laughs> Good. I'm ready to go to work for anybody. You're going to be in all things Modine. Nice, nice. I like it. So I have uh, become very animated. I, I, I don't know how much you know about my, uh, my little political radio show here. I've probably done about 35 episodes, and it's been in hiatus for a while. But we are back on with a, uh, a special two-hour-plus episode dedicated towards uh, Syria because of this, the immediacy of, our, uh, of the president's call for action and I'm I'm uh, we've got just such a great lineup of guests but uh, you I had to hear your voice had to hear your voice weigh in on what you think about it I mean just just generally speaking Matt what what do you, what do you think of this uh request of Congress and of what the president's asking to be able to do Well I understand it I understand that you know with the Geneva Convention and the ban on chemical weapons and how important how important it is to not allow those agents to be used in in any theater of of, of war or of combat or you know and um, because it, it it's terrorism in a way it, it, of the utmost magnitude. Um, but I, I don't know a lot about Syria. I know that you know he's killed over a hundred thousand of his people, as it's reported. Um, I think fifty. Uh, the, who knows what the numbers are? But the different. Uh, Voices that I've been talking to have said that you know a lot of those voices, maybe not half, but a lot of them are the uh, Assad regime, uh, you know, deaths on that that side as well as the uh, the rebel side. Well, I think it began with the Arab uprising, right? The spring, the Arab, the the when when people in, in Egypt started standing up and speaking truth to power. Um, Assad's father, when 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 people opposed him he killed them you know he he destroyed towns and villages of, of innocent people uh, you know people that weren't even opposing him but just people that were, were, were anyway closely related or in the vicinity of people who were opposing him and just destroyed neighborhoods and so uh, this guy's taking the page from his father's book and just opposing his I mean he's killing murdering his his opposition and I mean, it's a it's a it's a terrible situation. And I, I think that if, if what the president and and is asking Congress and Senate to do is to destroy the places where the chemical weapons are being stored, um, to, that's probably a good thing. You know, to to destroy those, those. Do you think it's Do you think it's possible? I mean, do you think it's possible to 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 identify where they are? I don't think it's going to be possible without <clears throat> um, killing. People who who are unrelated, the the, the what do they call that? Um, Innocent people, collateral damage. Collateral damage, yeah. Um, but honestly, it's it's as it, terrible as the situation is. I think it's a, it's 
very, very difficult, and it's almost a lose-lose situation for for the people who want to try to remedy the situation. Um, but as it stands now, the President of the United States has asked for support, and, and as one citizen, you're, you're willing to give it to him. Well, he's the President of the United States, so I, I'll, I'll stand behind the, I will stand behind the decision of the President. It was harder to stand behind the decision of President Bush when he was talking about the weapons of mass destruction in Iraq for a lot of people. You were, you were in that camp, yeah? Yeah, and, but I think that, that, that it's important to note that President Obama did ask for congressional approval. You know, he, he, he didn't act, which he could have done, which is what Bush did. The Bu Bush, Bush got the approval of, uh, he, Bush got the overwhelming approval of the, uh, of the House and Senate in the wake of 9-11. He just extended that authority to include uh, Iraq to the, you know, to a lot of people. Whereas it's, it's interesting to me to note that even many of uh, the president's supporters are, are struggling, I mean, it, it, you are struggling to... Um, to jump in on on this one, I mean, I don't know where I come down. Frankly, I'm a part of my zeal to understand it, and I've been listening to dozens of hours, or maybe not dozens, but maybe ten hours of academic lectures about Syria, and I've been studying about the Geneva uh, talks and studying about all these different things and trying to understand history. And most Americans aren't disposed to do that, aren't disposed to sort of stop everything in their life for seven or eight days and really try and understand it. And, you know, we can never, I can never really understand it because I haven't lived there for that long. But, but at a certain point, what do you, what do you think is the, the average American's responsibility in terms of knowing what's going on, you know, in the great over there? You, you were, you were, uh, one of the, the greatest movies of all time is Full Metal Jacket and, and, uh, there are just, I don't know, a thousand quotable lines in the movie, but it really gets at this idea of, uh, of you know, the, the, I'm thinking of one of the lines of the, uh, the general who's standing next to the mass grave and looking at you and, and sort of uh, excoriating you for wearing a, a peace lapel, a symbol on your lapel and the born to kill sign on your helmet. Uh, you know, uh, it's like, what, what do we need to know? What do you think Americans need to know? Because there's two themes that I've noticed. One is that most of the representatives are saying they're not getting any calls of support for the president, which will obviously change after he gives his big address Tuesday night. But then the other thing I've noticed is most people say they don't know that much about it, so they're not ready to raise their hand. So what, what, do, you, I mean, where, what do you think we need to know? I think that, well, I know that, that we're not taught Middle Eastern history in school. And you'd have to take a special class in, in college and second, secondary education to understand the Middle East, um, and understand how those borders were created. You know how how uh, Europeans uh, divided up the Middle East, and uh, I think it was in 1911 or something like that. I'm, I'm sorry, I don't know that much about Syria and the history. No, no, no. It's a, you're absolutely right. It was at 10 or 11, and and basically the French. Um, you know, divvied it up so that they got Syria and the English got somewhere else, and it's 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 not. Uh, it, it follows directly on that the French are approving. Well, actually, they, I think they just said they want to see more uh, out of the United Nations Security uh, Council, but uh, but they've they've been uh, offering support, whereas the British government voted against supporting it. So those colonial, you know, that that hundred-year colonial history runs deep. Yeah, and, and 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 that's where some of the problem stems from. Is that 
you know, they're, they're tribal communities. They're uh, the, the Sunnis and the and the. I mean, to try to understand that history is, I mean, you you could spend a couple of years trying to understand uh, that colonialism that, that that created the a lot of the problems and the history of the of the people there and and their religion and their faith and the, and and the, the history of their families, um, people that were put into power that by foreign governments that you know to to benefit those countries that wanted those people in power um, for the mineral rights for you know for, for all kinds of different reasons um, you have Russia supporting them presently because the the Syria is a big uh, purchaser of weapons and and materials that Russia sells to them so you know they don't want to sort support America because that, that's supporting a, a big uh, market for them where they sell things. So I mean, it's 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 a very complicated uh, situation. I mean, and what America is trying to do in this point is just try to stop people from being hurt and and murdered, and and you know that's a that's a wonderful thing. Um, but it, it, what cost is what is is what I think what we're asking the president to to to, to tell us now. All right, I'm just pausing uh, my interview with Matthew for a minute and uh, going to go to the phones. I see a uh, – hello, hello. You're on Vox Populi Live. Who's this? This is Evan Spadoni. Hey, Evan. How are you? I'm all right. Tell me what you're thinking about. I'm thinking about the war in Syria and uh, the United States' role in that and the opportunity for peace if you take the Russian deal right now. Do you think it's – it sounds so. Uh, it sounds so simple. Take the Russian deal up or down. Okay, we'll take the deal. But I mean, it's my hunch is that there's a whole awful lot that's got to go into um, making the Russian concept even remotely real. I mean, what what's your? Do you think it's? Do you think it's possible? Do you think it's possible that uh, that the international community and so? How, what would it look like? What? Who is the international community that would secure those stockpile? Of chemical weapons, what, what, how would that look like? What would it look like to you? I would uh, like to see the the Chinese do it, and uh, with Russian supervision, um, because I think that in this new century that we're occupying, that the Chinese need to play a much larger role in the international community than they have before. Wow! And the United States needs to um, needs to facilitate this in a way that there is uh, peace and that there's no intervention because. Uh, the international anarchy that the United States can just bypass the UN Security Council um, any times it, ch it chooses, um, it won't stand for the next hundred years, and it needs to change. Well, when you say the international anarchy, do you mean that it, it's... Well, like the United States being able to bomb whoever they choose um, with or without UN... It's funny, approval. because I sort of thought when you said that, that you meant like in the absence of any... You know, it, it, with all of the confusion and multiple interests and the and the chaos, I think when you said anarchy, I heard chaos. And you're like, in the out of the chaos, whoever like reaches the tallest gets the jump ball. You know, and 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 so uh, you know, it's an interesting idea. The Chinese have the Chinese do it. I mean, would would um, well, we have to start working with them at some point and in a real way? It's it's. What do you I think, think about? What were you tracking with uh, the the? Um, the Security Council, when when China and Russia got the uh, the the veto rights when they became full fledged members, did you, were you did you kind of note that as it happened? 
Um, I don't quite follow. I'm a huge fan. Well, I I don't think now. Listen, I'm I'm way ahead of my skis. So if any listeners want to call in or or uh, or tweet or jump on my Facebook page and sort of explain a little bit of uh, United Nations uh, history to me, I, I'm I'm I don't uh, you know. My uh, what I think I know is that the United Nations Security Council has uh, uh, the sort of power members, and that Russia and uh, and China were not a part of that for a long time, and then in the not too distant past they became a part of it, and that the a veto power stops any stops everything, so they can st- the, any country, and I think Turkey is one of them now. Any of the big countries who are part of the Security Council can can stop the forward momentum on some action with their veto, and so it, it's a it's an interesting. Uh, you know, trifecta, uh, trifecta, superpower pickle that we're in, where where uh, you know, China or Russia or we can stop the other. So, and this this is the first time that I can that I am really aware of that that China and Russia both stopped uh, a kind of international um, statement or uh, commitment to deal with this chemical weapons thing when the United States uh, and others w- wanted to. And so it's interesting that you choose China because, you know, boy, I wonder if we, I wonder if, I wonder if our, if we would try and stop it, if we try and veto the Russians and the Chinese working together to uh, to stop the civil war, and it, just because, boy, isn't it, wouldn't it be, um, you know, wouldn't it be something if if our two primary adversaries were working together to do something humanitarian, we might not have them to uh, kick around anymore, as Nixon said. But but I, my head just exploded when yeah, you said well, that. Well, the goal is to make them not adversaries but allies. And I think this is an opportunity to do that. Um, I don't. I don't really appreciate the world. Uh, the sort of the, the view that um, that these people are adversaries. Because I, I mean, they bear. There are allies against fascism in World War II, and um, I think they they continue to, be, to do that in a, in a real way. And yeah, I think you're. I, listen, I, you're you're. Um, you sound like a statesman. You sound like what. You know, uh, some important part of our government, ostensibly Secretary of State Kerry, should be doing, which He's is a hack. <laughs> well, it was surprising to me to hear him be the loudest voice for military action when what I'm used to hearing from the Secretary of State, whether it's disingenuous or not, is this uh, drumbeat for peace and drumbeat for communication and drumbeat for cooperation. And and uh, I, so, I, know, I think the last 10 years have been the opposite of that. I mean, uh, with Hillary Clinton, you had I came, I saw he died in Libya. And I think what Libya has descended into is warlorism. And we really have to look at this idea of what is better for the global community, a slow, gradual move towards peace through economic development, or these sort of haphazardly military interventions that devolve into absolute anarchy, chaos, backwardness. I mean, you have Sharia law going in in places that have been secular for decades and decades and decades. And this is the, it's it's anti-progress not good how would and you how would you characterize uh i mean benghazi the 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 loss of our i mean on this show i went i went purple in the in the minutes that that, that was happening and and just was before any of the assignment of blame or to, uh, any real understanding of what happened was was clear to anybody uh i was on this sh- this show just kind of screaming i just was so upset that uh, that an american um 
you know, ambassador was 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 attacked in that way, and and so, but uh, but what I want to hear well, from you is understand where he was and what he was doing, and that is that was that is an active war zone. There's no two ways around it. Well, he, he his uh, an I, American in there with, with, that is a high profile person, and that's going to create people who are going to want to kill that guy in Libya, in a place that is descended from a orderly state with economic development, one of the highest standards of living in Africa, built by. Gaddafi, who we like to hate so much because he would have a gold plane and a bunch of Ukrainian female bodyguards, and he's, you know, he's hateable. But you look at what really happened there and the stability he created, and then you turn it over to these, you know, essentially fanatics, and you get chaos, and that's what happens in chaos. So you, so, so in terms of the Arab Spring, you know, extending from Tunisia through. Uh, Egypt all the way to uh, to Libya. By the time it got to Libya, you're not seeing it so much as a popular revolt against tyranny. You're seeing it as as uh, a, a, as a as a what a, a, a um, terrorist inspired kind of I don't know. Hmm. Well, what I see the Arab Spring as is I was in Egypt just before I was uh, studying in Cyprus, and we got an opportunity to uh, travel to Cairo in Egypt in 2009, right after Obama spoke there. Um, and on the streets, first off thing I noticed is that everyone was on Facebook. And, and Twitter. And Twitter, absolutely. And that they, no one had any respect for the sort of an almost cartoonishly incompetent cops. No, there was the secret police who were, you know, black polos and short haircuts all cross-fitted, muscled up, and then you had the white-shirt cops who were just, you know, fat and out of shape. And no one, it seems that people were just ready for this for this sort of charade to be over, that they voted every however often in Egypt, I think it was five years, and they got, this dude got 90% of the votes and everyone knew it was a sham. And standard of living just started collapsing and people started being fed up with it. And when you have communication, then that overthrew that. But then they, you know, as all revolutions, if you look at the French Revolution compared to the Egyptian Revolution, um, there's a lot of similarities there. And, you know, things like this go sideways all the time. I think that is a, a key tenet of human behavior in history, is that something that starts off as, you know, liberty, fraternity, egalitarianism, and then it goes to the terror, and you're like, how the hell does this happen? I think that's, you know, in a broader sense of what's going on in the Arab Spring and the connectivity of everything. All right, so so um, so to finish up before we jump off, the yeah. American narrative for for the last week, and really, I think it should it should resolve itself in its in its own right and not be sort of thrown to the wayside because the Russians and the Syrians agreed on something. Uh, would you, in its current configuration, um, support? You know, if you were a congressional representative, support. The Obama's request for using this kind of limited military action? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I think there's uh, plenty of people and credible sources that there's no such thing as a bad peace. And I think any opportunity to grab peace and just sit down and stop the violence hmm. and then figure it out some way. And if this is an opportunity to do that, I think that uh, less less is better. 
Thank you so much for calling in, man. I really, uh, I really appreciate it. I appreciate your perspective and uh, and your sort of um, on the ground experience and and uh, and insight. And and I hope you um, call in again. All right, thank you, man. Appreciate. It. Wow. Uh, I didn't want to. I didn't want to bite too hard on the Benghazi thing with uh, Secretary Clinton because it's such a hot button, and my conservative friends just, uh, just uh, it's just such a, 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 you know, red hot button firebrand kind of topic. But I would say that, irrespective of that, my um, my understanding, my impression of uh, Secretary Clinton's work was uh, aside from Benghazi and the response to Benghazi. Aside from that, uh, and uh, you know, for however many years, she worked tirelessly to travel all over the world to open dialogue with a lot of countries who uh, were not uh, disposed to be in a positive conversation with the United States of America. So, uh, And I think it's important to uh, acknowledge good work when people do it, even if you uh, don't like something else. And, uh, you know... So there it is. Uh, okay, so I, so I think I've so I think I played enough of uh, my conversation with Matthew. I want to go now to um, the other the other kind of set piece uh, interview that I had with uh, with Robert M. Uh, Deneen. Um and I think I I think I do a uh, a serviceable job of introducing him in the actual interview. So I'm just going to play that now and. Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed speaking with him. It was yesterday. The whole world has changed in 24 hours. But uh, but here is my conversation with uh, Mr. Deneen. Okay, here we go. I have Robert Deneen on the phone, who is a senior fellow at the uh, Council on Foreign Relations. Um Wow. If I tried to describe your expertise for the audience, we might be here all day. You're a Middle East expert, Egypt, Lebanon, Syria, Jordan. Is basically, uh, you've worked in the government for, uh, for much of your career. And, and uh, how long have you been a fellow at the, uh, at the council? I've been here now uh, three years. Uh, I left the government in 19, uh, rather in 2010. How are you finding this uh, nonprofit universe as opposed to your, uh, your, your formal work with the government? Well, uh, being out of government is uh, much less stressful. You don't have the sense of uh, responsibility and burden uh, that one feels uh, when you're in government to, to, to have the weight of uh, uh, trying to make decisions and advise uh, uh, senior leaders about what, what to do. Um, on the other hand, there's a certain liberation that comes with uh, being able to speak in your own voice and not in the voice of, uh, of, uh, of your Superiors, the president, the secretary of state, whomever. Uh, so it's a, it's you know it's it's uh, pluses and minuses, but it's it's uh, I'm enjoying myself immensely. So um, there's a uh, this article on the eve of uh, in the Washington Post of yours on the eve of what is sure to be a historic uh, address from from uh, from the president from President Obama regarding this uh, potential military action in uh, in Syria. And uh, and it's decided. Uh, it's decidedly. Um, I mean, it's very pointed. You're, it's very clear what your point of view is. I mean, I, I you, you talk about um, you talk about having visited uh, Syria with a senior delegation during the Iraq conflict and presenting evidence to uh, Assad himself directly. Is that what I'm getting from that uh, from from the article? Correct. 
I, I had the opportunity to meet with Assad uh, uh, on two separate occasions, um, in 2003 and, and then later that year, uh, both times in, in, in Damascus. So, I mean, you know, that makes you different from nearly everybody who'll be within earshot of this uh, this interview. What was what was it like? What was it like to sit across from uh, from the, the head of what is now a kind of public enemy number one on the world stage? Well, it's a, a dubious distinction, I must say. Um, uh, look, he, um, you know, it was an interesting, it was interesting to, obviously, to, to meet the, uh, such a fellow. Uh, um, you know, Assad is someone who has uh, tried to portray himself as, as reasonable, as Western-oriented. His wife is British. He lived in London. He was trained as an ophthalmologist. Uh, and in many ways, I think that uh, Assad, uh, the son, Bashar al-Assad, the son of Hafez al-Assad, the, the, who was the longtime leader of, uh, of Syria, who had taken over the country in, in a coup, I think Bashar, you know, did want to reform Syria. He did want to take Syria into the into the modern era. Um, but I think there were a lot of in, in, in hip inhibitions, a lot of uh, impediments. Uh, to him uh, being able to change Syria, and he ultimately became swallowed uh, by the system. Uh, this was a ruling uh, small minority uh, uh, sect uh, known as the Alawites um, who control uh, Syria. Uh, they're hated by the majority of the country, who are largely Sunnis, although there's a large Christian, uh, large Druze, uh, and, and other population in Syria. So. This is, a kind of, this is a, a man who rules against the will of his own people, uh, has done so through an ideology of um, hyper-nationalism, uh, Arab nationalism, uh, fighting the Israel, fighting the West, uh, and yet at the same time wanting to reform his country and recognizing that in order for Syria to become a, a thriving and, and modern country, it needs to reform. That's a difficult uh, challenge. It's a challenge many authoritarian states have faced. Uh, how do you open up economically, but not open up politically? Because if you open up politically, you might wind, find yourself um, hanging uh, in the gallows like uh, Ceausescu in Romania did. Uh, that, I think, is the essence of, of Bashar's dilemma. And ultimately, he uh, uh, sided on the on. He went for um, securing his uh, regime at the expense of the reform, and ultimately became a, a brutal dictator. I mean. It's become a bit of a cliche for people to invoke the Godfather when it comes to talking about uh, uh, Assad, but in many ways it, it holds up. You know, Assad was the son, uh, in many ways, like Michael, who left the family, wanted to go legit. He was called back by his father, had to go into the family business, um, and at the end of the day, wound up being even more brutal than his father. Uh, it's not where he started out, but I think it just where circumstances and the structural situation forced him, or where he felt he, he was forced. And so he's turned out to be a much more ruthless and bloody dictator than his father was, who was responsible for killing over 30,000 people in one go in 1982 in Hama. So now we have a man who's been responsible for many more deaths, who's used chemical weapons against his own people. Uh, when we met him, you know, he seemed mild-mannered. He wanted to project a sense of uh, reasonableness, but you know, appearances are deceiving. Your uh, the article that you wrote in the in the uh, Washington Post uh, in the opinion section is titled "Send Assad a Message He Will Understand." 
there is this, uh, you, you describe his way of interpreting, it, basically you say that he, uh, that the, the Syrian regime was, was facilitating uh, in a couple of different ways uh, attacks against U.S. forces in Iraq during the Iraq campaign. And, uh, and that you, along with a number of other uh, senior State Department officials, were sort of charged with presenting him un, you know, incontrovertible you know, um, evidence, you know, sort of at his request that, uh, that, that this stuff had been going on and, and that you were basically sort of throwing down the gauntlet for him and that he, he just saw the fact that we uh, – I'm just to paraphrase what you wrote. He, he essentially – uh, interpreted our, you know, countries coming to him with this as a as a sign of weakness on our part, and I'm just wondering, from your vantage point, how much of that has to do with his support from Russia, and how much do you think is his own kind of, you know, malevolent, uh, you know, so, I don't know if you can psychoanalyze the guy, but but his own per personality thing. Right. Well, let me just uh, um, go through this a bit, and you know. Uh, um, uh, you know, tell me if I'm going on too long. But, you know, what happened was I, at the time I was actually working at the White House. I was a Middle East specialist there. Uh, I, the first time I accompanied Secretary of State uh, Colin Powell uh, to, meet, uh, to meet Assad. And this is soon after Baghdad had fallen. And we knew that uh, Syria had been engaged in all sorts of very, very bad behavior, supporting terrorist groups, allowing jihadis to go into Iraq, um, facilitating them to go kill American soldiers. Uh, and basically, we went with a very tough message. And in many ways, we, we behaved quite undiplomatically. And what I was trying to say is, you know, we went in and we felt we were delivering the toughest possible message you could deliver. And we did. And to, to, to tell... A, a, a leader of a country in his own palace, in his own seat of power, you know, point a figure, finger figuratively in his chest and say, you have to change your behavior and we are, the, you know, we are the big bullies and we're going to tell you what you've got to do. And he meekly says, well, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not doing that, you know, and, and denying it without, you know, that was quite humiliating. And so we thought, okay, we've really kind of sent a really strong message to this guy. And in reality, and then at the time, some of us were arguing against even going because, you know, you have to understand the, 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 the way this region works and the, the mindset. And, and this gets at what I was trying to get to in the article is, you know, we think a certain way. Not everyone in the world thinks the same way we do. And, and Syrians think differently and Assad thinks differently. And the point was, by going to meet him, we sent a signal to him we weren't going to hurt him. We were going there to, to try to negotiate with him. And so, you know, okay, we'll, we'll negotiate and we'll disagree. You say black, I say white. Okay, now we're in the souk. Now we're, to, now, we're de, now we're debating. And as long as we're debating, we're not fighting and I'm okay. So that was kind of what I was trying to say was, you know, now we're in a situation where um, the president himself, President Obama, said we're trying to uh, send a message to, to Syria that the use of chemical weapons is not all right. And now we're talking about using uh, military force. And what I was trying to say is a couple things. I mean, one is um, using force in such a way to communicate with him may not be the message he takes away. Uh, what he'll hear is a lot of the things we're saying we won't do. We're not going to invade his country. We're not going to uh, have an extended uh, uh, engagement. We are going to send a, a shot across the bow. 
So, you know, we have to be clear. Well, how's Al-Assad going to take this? He's going to say, wow, these guys are putting all these limitations on themselves. So they're going to, they're going to, you know, they're going to slap me. Um, I can take that. Um, I wasn't. All right, I'm just going to pause uh, my interview with uh, Robert for a minute uh, and go to the phone line. Hello, this is Sean. You're on Vox Popular Live. Who's this? Hi, this is George. Stuart, what do you got for me? Uh, George, George. <laughs> um, I, I just want to... Okay, so the whole thing going on in Syria is very disturbing on a, a number of levels. Um, but I just want to, like, why now? You, you know what I mean? Like, this, this has been... This genocide's been going on for quite a period of time, and I'm not saying... It, it, it's right. It absolutely isn't. But uh, President Obama made the statement about chemical weapons, and now it's almost like is he backtracking to to cover that statement so things so he he looks better in the public. I, I mean, I don't know. I I, I don't. Well, I think I think, I think if it was the, the administration around the board, if I was a, a member of the administration, I would probably respond by saying this major chemical attack happened on August 21st, and it took us a little bit of time to uh, confirm what happened. I, I'm just, this is supposition on Sean's part here, but I'm just sort of role-playing. So uh, it took us a little bit of time to confirm what happened. We wanted to meet with our military advisors and make sure that uh, we calculated a response that we would think would have maximum impact. And uh, then once we knew what was possible and knew what we wanted to do, uh, it was as fast as we could turn it around to go to the world community and, and lay down the gauntlet. The, uh, you know, so I think why now is predicated on the uh, the specific chemical attack that was done on August 21st and probably not wanting to miss the opportunity to uh, to act as they sort of see is possible. That's that's why I think, you know, in the grand scheme, like why 2013 as opposed to two years ago when the Civil War started right. and whatever else. I mean, I think they would say it's because this is when the big chemical attack happened and and they're responding, you know, in, in due in due course. But, um, I mean, you can cut me off whenever you want, but, I mean, we're, we're also coming out of, like, the war in Iraq just pretty much just ended, and then now we, we still have troops in Afghanistan, so like, it just seems like a poor time to to go over there, just lo logistically speaking. And, Do you mean in terms I mean, of our, bu our budget? Or our... Entirely. Listen, we have, I think, seven, I could be wrong about this, but seven aircraft carrier battle groups. The United States of America has made an unbelievable investment uh, in what is sort of the largest jobs uh, program the world has ever known in the, in the, the Pentagon and the, 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 our military war machine. And so he has at his disposal the ability to direct at any one time those battle groups to go, to go where he wants. And we now have positioned in uh, the, it, you know, off the, uh, not too far off the coast of Syria, the ability to launch these Tomahawk missiles. And, and uh, we've got these air, you know, that we can drop bombardments from very high up where supposedly the, the pilots are not as at risk and, and uh, and so on and so forth. So in terms of our overall budget, like the United States of America is in an economic crisis as the rest of the world, and so we shouldn't spend an, a nickel where we don't have to. Uh, in terms of the, the soldiers, the fighting men and women who have been kind of overdeployed repeatedly for the last decade, um, if you are to take the – if, being the biggest word in the dictionary, you are to take the Obama administration at face value and the military who is saying behind him that they can do this limited strike uh, on these targets without putting boots on the ground, which a lot of people don't 
you know, think is possible that, the, you know, this is the way you get sucked into a bigger, a bigger conflict. But um, yeah. in terms of bad time, it's never a good time to get attacked. It's never a good time to go right, to war. Right. So, so, so tell me, so, but there's more to what you're saying. Tell me, really unpack what you're saying. You're saying you just don't want to do this. I, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm not, I'm just not a fan. I'm not a fan of it. Not because that what's going on over there is not right by any means. It's just, it's, it's scary and, and it's not right. And I, I wish we could do something about it. I just feel like personally at this point, personally, I don't, I, I don't feel like we can just go over there and, you know, drop a couple bombs and, or, or what have you, and, or drones and have, not have to deploy boots on the ground. All right, so two, two questions, too. two questions for you then. The president says he can, or we can, do just that. So would you give yeah. him, if you were a congressional rep, would you give him a thumbs up or thumbs down? It's tough. He's, it's, a, he's, he's asking. Said, he's he said, asking. He says he can. Then he's my president. I'm going to back my president. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess, I guess if I'm a congressional rep, I guess moral I, I kind of res- have to. I don't know. It's tough. <laughs> well, all right. Let me ask you this question. It's, you- a, it's a sticky situation. Amen. Well, let me ask you this question. Is there any chance – and by the way, I'm, I'm you, <laughs> okay, just so you know. <laughs> um, do, you, do you think there's – you know, scale of 1 to 10, 10 being it works perfectly and all of the – Assad regime's chemical weapons come under control of the international community. Uh, zero being it's exactly the way it is, and he uses them again. What, what do you think the chances are of, of this of this thing coming to pass? Of of uh, of that of, of it of it working of a strike working? No, no, no. Of of this path to um, uh, avoiding American military intervention by allowing their own um, chemical weapons stockpile to be taken control of by the international community as facilitated by the Russians, uh, that process being facilitated. Oh, I, I, don't, I don't think that'll work. <laughs> All right. Well, it sounds like we're at uh, – yeah, yeah. All right. Listen, uh, let me – I'm going to jump onto another call real quick. Thank you. I think your opinion is um, – uh, echoed by almost everyone in the country, <laughs> and we'll see after <laughs> yeah, the president. Yeah, yeah. After the president's um, uh, barrage of interviews, we will uh, and his big speech tomorrow night. We'll see if that public opinion changes. Uh, jumping on this call, hello there. Who's this? Hello, this is Seth. How are you tonight? Awesome. Do you say Seth? Uh, Beth. Actually. Oh, Beth, Beth, Beth. Hi. Sorry about that, Beth. Beth, tell me what <laughs> your uh, what you got on your mind here. Uh, well, I just. <laughs> actually find the whole discussion a little frustrating because there's this dichotomy that's set up where no matter what side of the debate you're talking to, it's assumed that um, intervention is a side of, you know, moral responsibility, whether or not intervention is, well, let's look at the practical elements and et cetera and so forth. But um, the way I see it, any kind of moral consideration requires looking at the consequences and so the questions I want to look at before I support any kind of military intervention are things like, well, is our action actually going to make any difference, a positive difference for the suffering of the Syrian people? And what are the larger ramifications for the re- region? What's going to happen when we go in there with gun slaving? And I just don't see a lot of discussion about that in the debate as it has been so far over the last few weeks. 
I think you're absolutely right. I mean, the uh, I don't think I've said the word humanitarian crisis yet, and I'm an hour and 32 minutes into my Syria show, so uh, shame on me. The, the fact is millions of people have been displaced. I don't know if you've seen the pictures of the the camps with hundreds of thousands of people living in tents and bad sanitary conditions, and, and, uh, and it's awful. So um, I suppose the framework for this kind of binary discussion is set up because the President of the United States has said, I'm asking Congress to support my military uh, uh, intervention that I want to do. And so now it's it's like, okay, do you support them or don't you? But if, if we really want to have a complex discussion, it must begin with the human toll that is, that is you know, happening all throughout um, Syria and in, and in its neighboring countries who are absorbing the, the you know, the, the refugees and, and, uh, and the innocent people who are dying. I mean, I, I, so, you know, it's an abstraction when we talk about chemical weapons that may or may not be deployed in the future and whether or not doing anything now will have an impact on that. So, you know, the president of the United States believes firmly that that this that the, the human toll will be uh, negatively impacted if we don't do this killing is essentially what's going to happen. It's innocent civilians are going to die in, as collateral damage in, in this attack. Innocent civilians are going to die whether this attack goes on or not. So, you know, it, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty easy to sit here in, in Hollywood and, and kind of, you know, throw ideas around and kind of have my pseudo understanding of history down there. I, I can understand why it's frustrating to listen to. But, but what I would say is that my, my intention with a show like this and, and trying to facilitate these conversations and taking your call and other people's call is to say, you know, it's not okay. Uh, for my friends today who I was at work with to just kind of throw their hands up and say, you know what, I don't really know that much about it. You know, hopefully the politicians will get it right. Like, I think I think we need, you know, just hearing the names of the places, hearing the names of the players, having the different uh, treaties invoked as part of a discussion. I think it's it's nice and to, to start getting comfortable and realizing that you don't have to be an expert to start wandering into the conversation and and we're better as a body politic if we if we do that but uh, and and uh, you know I think hopefully everyone who's weighing this conversation in this country and in the countries you know around the world ha are people of goodwill who want to stop su the suffering not just here but in Rwanda in in our own countries where there's homelessness and, and starvation and you know so but this is the moment that the president has laid down for us so this is why we try and tackle it let me uh, let me mm -hmm. let me jump do you have any last thought I'm gonna jump off to this 417 number all right <laughs> all right bless you be well uh, here we go Hello, hello. You're on Vox Popular Live. Who's this? Uh, my name is Andreas. Andreas, how are you? What are you? Uh, what are your thoughts on the uh, this moment in American history where we're contemplating military action in uh, the Middle East again? Uh, you know, it, it, it's something that I think that you know we really need to think through. And you know, one of the big things that caught my attention, and I don't know if you can elaborate on it, but um, earlier I, I read on the news that. You know, Syria said that if we were to do airstrikes, that you know, expect a retaliation. So. You know, that's something yeah, that I noticed. I noticed that the, on my uh, Facebook page, uh, the Sean Aston Facebook page, there's a, there's a, a couple of different streams running, and several people so wanted to call my attention to the fact that he said that. I did see uh, that portion of Charlie Rose's interview on CBS with uh, with Assad, um, and I and what I saw was a uh, a pretty slick politician. I saw a guy both threatening to retaliate if America intervened in his civil war, 
but also a kind of slippery um a slipperiness where he was where he was sort of you know trying to relate that well you know there's all these factions that are here and there's uh places around the world in particular uh this treaty that we have with this pact that we have with Iran who uh is duty bound to retaliate on our behalf if we're attacked from a, 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 a if this sovereign nation is attacked from another one like the United States so you know he was basically saying Americans you're not going to be able to go to sleep in your beds tonight uh without fearing uh, uh you know a terrorist attack if you if you do this and it may not just be coming from me so i think that my um, I think that we as a as a people, you know, have to hear it when a guy who who gasses his own people tells him tells us he's gonna he's gonna try and hurt us. We need to pay attention to that. Um, you know, I, I would think uh, a lot of my military friends uh, that would be a motive to uh, they, they would be sparked to try and figure out how to put down that sort of um, enemy who's revealing himself. Others. You know, would have a, a more uh, you know practical take of it. What what do you, what did you? How did it make you feel? Well, you know, it's it's kind of scary. And like you said, you know, if he's willing to, you know, use chemical weapons on his own people, then you know, what is he willing to do, you know, on American soil? So, you know, and like you said, that there could be other countries that could take part in it. You know, and are we really ready to, you know, kind of get pulled into a you know another war and you know, I just don't think that it's something that we're, you know, we're really ready for. Uh, President Obama and uh, Secretary of State Kerry have said that if the action they don't want to take, uh, the action that they want to take isn't taken, that it's a guarantee that he'll use, he'll be emboldened to use those kinds of weapons again uh, on his own people and that the, um, the, effect that that will have on other um, people, other bad actors, other uh, terrorists is is going to be a, a green light for them to for them to do that. So we're sort of damned if we do, damned if we don't, if you believe the way the administration is calling. All right. Thank you for your call. I'm going to jump on. We've, it's an embarrassment of riches over here. Any last thought before we jump off? Uh, no, not a whole lot. I just hope that they, uh, you know, they get something figured out and we can do it peacefully. And if you were you know, a, nobody else get hurt. If you were a congressional representative today, would thumbs up or thumbs down giving the president your uh, approval? Uh, probably, I would have to go with a no. You know, are, are you talking about on the on the airstrike? Yeah. Yeah, I would probably have to say no. You know, just because of the possibility of, you know, the 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 effects that it could cause. You know, with the possible retaliation, you know, I'd like for them to kind of come up with some other uh, ways that they could try to get this figured out rather than doing a, a limited airstrike, because even if it's limited, it, it could cause a chain reaction and, you know, and, and possibly worse things. So, thank you for your call. Uh, thank you. Uh, well, there you go. A man of peace, hoping that the people in a position of power will do their best to find a peaceful resolution. Um, pretty cool. Uh, there have been a couple of other people trying to call through. It's been uh, – well, here we go. I'm going to just keep jumping on. My Robert Deneen interview, uh, it, it goes on for uh, for a considerable amount of time. What I think we may do is end up um, playing that interview and uh, a number of the other interviews, my interview with Mike, Mikey Kay and with Julia um, – uh, in a, in a subsequent uh, episode, we'll have to we're going to have to have a sequel to this uh, this episode here, and it's going to be informed by unbelievable late breaking news. So hold on, let's go to the phones again. 
Hello, this is Sean. You're on Vox Populi Live. Who's this? This is Carrie. Hey, Carrie. What are you thinking? I'm thinking I'm uh, probably the only person in the America who I have a thumbs up. Well, I thank heavens you're calling because honestly, on my website, I and my sorry, my uh, my Facebook page, the Sean Aston Facebook page, I put out there. I really, you know, I've heard from many, many people who don't want uh, to support the president's action, and I said I'd love to hear the opposing viewpoint. Nobody. <laughs> the best were like yeah. the two people who said, "Well, maybe it's an interesting idea." So let's hear your uh, let's hear your case for why you would support the uh, the president's why you would give him that approval. Um, I just think, honestly, from the beginning, that the president um, and I'm a I'm an Obama supporter. Uh, I voted for Obama, but that's not why. It's it's politics and it's. Um, how things should be handled, and I just feel like right away he should have acted. Um, I, I do you mean do you mean he should have acted? Do you mean he should have acted without asking for support? I do, I do. I, I think it's happened in the past. You know history better than I do, um, but I, I've I've read articles too over the past uh, several days. And um, I know that other presidents have gone in with no congressional support and um, done airstrikes like this in 60, 60 days or less and um, come out of it without any retaliation um, on, the, uh, on the aggressor's part. Um, well, us being the aggressor on one hand and them being the aggressor on the other hand, um, so let me ask you this question. Do you think that if the president was able to uh, not able to if he if he. Well, let me ask you this. It, it seems like he's he may get support in the Senate, but it seems very unlikely that he'll get support in the House unless uh, his speech tomorrow night is just a, a, a total barn burner and people uh, like, uh, you know, w- want to strengthen his hand as we start to wade into the Russia, Syria, put your chemical weapons under international control thought. Um, But if if he has that split support, would you want him to do it? Would you want him to to proceed ahead? If he has the support? If he has the support of the Senate, but not the Congress, not the House, sorry. It seems seems likely. Yeah, go ahead. At this point, point it's more complicated, uh, obviously, because he didn't do it right away on his own authority. Um, but I still do want him to um, deter and degrade. Um, I am, like I said, I'm a thumbs up. I have been from the beginning. Um, I And it was before I saw any of the videos or, um, you know, I just think the situation is deter- deteriorating. And I heard something like 2 million refugees um, I, I think someone earlier on the show said a hundred thousand. Um, I don't know. I might have said, I might have said a hundred thousand because uh, uh, th- that's actually the UN number: hundred thousand plus of people who've died in the con- in the civil war. Uh, I think you're right that the, the number of refugees is is you know much. More, I don't know about two million, but because I've I've read different things, but but it's a massive. Yeah. I, I've seen I, I've seen pictures of camps where refugee camps in Turkey, I think. Uh, where there was a hundred thousand people in the in the refugee camp, or you know the numbers. It's funny, you know, it, it, you sit at you know seven eight thousand miles away, and you know 
one million, one hundred thousand. The numbers almost don't mean anything sometimes. You you, you try and grasp it. You see a picture and you think that's. Uh, you know, of, of you know, a satellite picture of a, a thing that looks like a city, and it's all tents, and people are living, you know, having been forced from their homes, uh, and so, it, so yeah. it's hard to get our heads around it. But, but anyhow, so all right, well, there you go, a, a uh, one of the uh, the minority um, of Americans. Minority who, thumbs up. Yeah. Uh, all right. Yeah. Well, I appreciate your call. Thank you very much. Appreciate your show. Thank you. All right, let me jump in. It's uh, 7.45. I'm going to play a, a couple more minutes of uh, the Robert Deneen interview, um, uh, senior uh, fellow at the International Relations uh, – wait, let me make sure I get it right. He, uh, Robert is a, uh, at the, the uh, Council on Foreign Relations, uh, and we had a, a pre-recorded interview, and I played the first 10 minutes, and here's a little bit more. Well, I, th I think that's exactly. I think a lot of people are. Uh, I think it's right on the spine of of people's, you know, concerns uh, uh, right now. And and uh, you know, I I find myself groaning under the weight of this idea of sending a message. I mean, it, it's is it a is it a a, a a term of art in in diplomatic circles? Is it a threat of military force? Is it some other kind of self interested financial or other? aid package kind of threat I, I i just you know because we're not gonna did we have open lines of communication with them ahead of time i mean was that how we were gonna i just don't i just think that when the american public is trying to weigh you know the 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 relative merit of, of doing this kind of military action i don't think we have a sense of what those conversations really are you know, I was trying to say, too, is, you know, look, in sending him this message that's saying, don't use chemical weapons, we're also saying, inadvertently, it's okay to continue killing your own people, as long as you don't do it using chemical weapons. And that's a very worrisome message to be sending. So it's okay if you use cannons, artillery, uh, aircraft, but as long as you don't use chemical weapons, that's okay. So... You know, that's not our intent, but that's as far as we're willing to go right now. So, you know, we have to be clear what the messages we're sending him. And that's part of the unintended message, I think, I fear that we would be sending him if we go the way we are. Um, so we, that's one problem here. Um, you know, the, another problem is that we just don't have a larger strategy. You see, for the president, when you parse what he's saying very closely, he's very concerned about the fact that Syria used chemical weapons against his own people. There's been a treaty in place since 1925 banning the use of chemical weapons. And that treaty has largely been observed by the international community. Um, there have been a few exceptions, uh, and one can point to, you know, I could point a few out. Um, but what the president is concerned about is that this norm is going to be violated and that the more it's violated, the more that others will feel that it's okay to violate it. That's important, and I support that fully. The problem here is the president's trying to, to thread a needle here. Because on the one hand, he's saying, I care about the chemical weapons, but in essence, he's also saying the Syria part of it is so hard, it's so complicated, there are no real good guys, there's no real military solution here. I don't, and by the way, the country is, is so war weary. I came to, I'm the president who got us out of the Middle East wars, not the guy who got us into yet another one. So he's trying to send a military signal about chemical weapons, but at the same time, 
not really affect the way it's going in Syria. And many um, people who care about the Middle East and who care about Syria are saying, wait a minute, um, that's a real problem. Okay, uh, I'm pausing the, the uh, Robert Deneen interview again for a moment. I just want to, uh, on my Twitter strand, uh, people who knew that I was interviewing uh, Mikey K are curious. I'm just going to play a little bit of that uh, interview, John, if you want to throw up Mikey K's picture, because I just want people to hear that, and we will uh, ultimately make sure that all these interviews get a full airing on Vox Populi, but I just want to give people a taste. Uh, can't, waiting, stop, reject, and here we go. No file open. There it is. I now have on the line with me um, Michael Kay, um, who is a former um, British officer in the uh, in the RAF, a a journalist and commentator regularly. Um, I'm going to skip forward through my introduction so you can actually hear from him. Service and uh, and and so that we can. Uh, it's a good question. I, I don't think it did surprise me at all, actually, and the reason for that is because um, the UK um, and I think most of the, the Western Hemisphere are still uh, scarred from the after-effects of 2003 when uh, the West decided to intervene in Iraq and topple um, Saddam's regime without having any authority from the United Nations Security Council. So there were two, there were two instances which I think of have really made people think about what's going on in Syria at the moment. The first one was um, a lack of credible uh, authority from an international legitimacy apparatus, which is the UN Security Council, um, because there was no resolution uh, or mandate to go into Iraq. Um, but the second one, which I think which is as important, which isn't really touched upon by commentators, is the fact that with Iraq there was no phase four plan or no post-conflict plan. So what happened was there was uh, an immense amount of, of very impressive military activity that completely crushed Saddam, uh, his regime, uh, and toppled the, um, the government. Uh, but there was no plan put in place across the political, the security, or the humanitarian um, lines of development or economic reconstruction. And so what happened was there was a vacuum created as soon as the military activity stopped where there was there was no government, um, there was no police force, there was no army, uh, and the NGOs that, that assist with the economic reconstruction couldn't operate because the vacuum was filled by sectarian hatred and violence between Sunni and Shia elements and, and elements of al-Qaeda as well. So I think when you, when you combine those two factors of no international legitimacy and no phase four plan, um, people in the UK have good memories, and it, it was less than it was. It was about a decade ago, so uh, people aren't prepared um, to take the same risk. And I also think that politicians over the last five years have have really denuded any sort of credibility through various other um, activities that have taken place, both in, in the in the White House, but also in Parliament in the UK. So I think people don't actually believe um, anymore what what comes out of politicians' mouths, and they want some more substantial and more sort of hard evidence, if you like, to back any, um, any propositions or motions up that would involve military activity. I remember feeling reassured about the, um, the, about the intelligence, which seemed really, to me at the time, it, it seemed um, uh, the, the intelligence that was being put forward by the Bush administration seemed 
very convenient with regard to weapons of mass destruction uh, that we couldn't specifically identify. But I remember Hans Blix from the uh, United Nations gave an impassioned testimony about, uh, I think it was sarin gas even, or, or the, some other um, uh, agent, biological chemical agent that, that was terrifying. Uh, but I also remember um, uh, uh, Tony Blair. And when Tony Blair was, uh, you know, absolutely strident about um, the his knowledge of, uh, you know, what do you call it? classified knowledge of, of of the presence of these uh, these weapons of mass destruction, such that he was able to get pretty, you know, solid support from from his government. Uh, I remember feeling, you know, well, mildly reassured because I found him I found him credible. So I I, I take your point about you know people learning the lessons of not having a a, a plan to uh, to occupy or follow through or finish up or whatever in uh, in some of these foreign adventures, but. But it seems like our our nations have uh, have been arms linked on on this kind of stuff. And I, I as I as I've raced to educate myself about this, one thing that struck me was that uh, the, the the early colonial uh, divvying up of land and 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 uh, you know of territory and I don't know how to phrase it, but uh, basically a colonial posturing that happened at the early part of the uh, the 20th century around the around the First World War. And the, the French kind of got Syria, and the British didn't, or you know, and, and I'm just and for the and France is supporting uh, the effort now, and I, I just sort of wonder if it's if it's really the the Parliament being responsive to the will of the people, or if it's this uh, historical memory and, and lack of, uh, of of real agency in that particular place that uh, that informs it. Any any thoughts on that before we get to the security stuff? Um, I think it's a bit of both. I think um, I think people are not willing to take um, what politicians say at face value anymore. Um, and I also think that the world has, has been in a recession uh, and a financial crisis for pretty much half a decade. Um, the cost of Iraq and Afghanistan to the U.S. alone will amount to over $6 trillion when you take into account um, the uh, money that needs to be paid to veterans through all sorts of compensation, etc. So um, not only um, do people not have the stomach for this, I think people have been suffering financially because of the economic crisis and, and don't want to see even more money that um, America and the UK doesn't have spent on something that doesn't necessarily support um, constituents' own national interests. Okay, so that is – you're hearing there from, uh, from Mikey K or Michael K. His website is MikeyK.com, M-I-K-E-Y-K-A-Y. He's a uh, retired lieutenant colonel in the uh, Royal Air Force, and uh, he's also a senior um, – uh, he's a correspondent. He's a contributor to the Huffington Post and Fox and CNN and a number of things. Uh, very good-looking, wickedly intelligent um, uh, gentleman. Really grateful to have uh, my, my conversation with him. Um, I'm going to – Put, and I want you to hear just a, another minute or two of my other guest whose interview I pre-recorded and won't have the ability to play the time to play all, but I just want you to get a sense of who she is. Uh, let me just start that. I'm also going to skip. Okay, so I have on the uh, phone with me Julia Davis, uh, my uh, a new uh, a new Twitter friend who came highly recommended by uh, a number of followers of uh, of mine on Twitter and the show. Um, your profile page says national security expert, national security whistleblower, writer, and filmmaker. Um, 
Is that, uh, am, I, am I on track? Yes, you are. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Sean. Um, all right, so here we find ourselves in the, yet another, uh, I'm 42 years old, and, and I can, I, I, now two hands aren't enough to count the uh, historically significant military moments of, of my, my uh, life as a citizen. What do you think about this co uh, contemplated action in Syria, to start with a, a big, broad question? Well, in the broad sense, I think that the international laws uh, really prevent us from be becoming involved in the affairs of a sovereign country. Uh, it only is allowed when two countries are fighting with each other, but uh, we're trying to get involved in the civil war. And what makes it even more complex is that there are so many different factions that are fighting the Assad regime that it looks like a very high possibility of a quagmire that could stretch out for 30 years. Do you think there's um, there's any way in which some of the the bordering nations might be drawn in into it? Turkey is my is what I'm thinking of at first here, and that that might then trigger, uh, a, a, as you phrasing it, a more uh, internationally uh, you know legal permissible action by any of the governments, I guess. Well, if we go in without a UN. Um, approval, then we already are in violation of an international law. Uh, I'm pausing here for a second. I think what I meant to say was, I think it wasn't clear of my question, uh, Turkey is shares a border with uh, Syria, and they've absorbed a ton of refugees. They also have an interesting, uh, they've moved uh, troops close to the border. The uh, I think some of the, anti, some of the rebellion uh, forces are uh, camped on the Turkish side of the border. So I guess what I was basically saying was if something happens where Syria goes after the, um, the, the, uh, some of the rebels or terrorists, as they would call them, uh, who are based in Turkey, and Turkey saw that as an attack on their sovereignty, then as a member of uh, the National Security Council and the agreements we have in place, you know, the, the world would then, or the, the, the rest of the members would have uh, an obligation on Turkey's behalf to jump in. Um, this isn't my, uh, I don't know that. I'm just, that was sort of my question to her. Uh, let's hear a moment of her response here. Law, and uh, it is very likely that Syria and its allies will strike back, which would uh, then trigger the possibility of a World War III and would, uh, would be faced with a very um, dangerous scenario. Uh, for example, Syria and Iran have a treaty that says that if one of the countries is fired upon, the other one will respond as though it was attack on that country. So the opposite so of what I just said. So we can expect response inverse. from Syria and Iran as well as their allies, Russia and China. And at the same time, um, we all know Israel is not going to sit there and take attacks uh, passively. So we're looking at a, a very extensive conflict. All right. So that is the voice of Julia Davis, a national security expert and uh, a, a so-called national security whistleblower. And I think you have to um, maybe look up uh, Julia Davis News at uh, Julia Davis News. 
Blogspot in order to uh, learn a little bit more about here. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take all the interviews that I have here. Oh, and the other thing is Andrew um, Blasevich. I spent five minutes, or sorry, ten minutes on the phone with him beforehand, but I was not able to su- uh, sufficiently capture the audio from his side of the conversation. So I may end up putting a transcript of that up. What I'm going to do is uh, Sean Aston is my uh, not just my name, but also my Facebook. Um, I'm going to put a link to that Facebook site up on Twitter in a minute, and then I'm going to try and find a way to uh, house the all of these interviews in their entirety on the uh, on the Facebook page, and look forward to the comments and replies from them. And um, that will uh, this is my closing statement uh, for for this special edition episode on Syria of Vox Populi. Um, I want American citizens to remember that we're on the same team. So I'm going beyond the we should have bipartisanship uh, line and saying that what we do right now, how we communicate with each other publicly, with our leaders and so forth, is uh, not happening in a safe protected space the world is watching and listening to how we do this so whether or not we strengthen the president's hand by giving him what he wants whether we uh, uh, try and curtail his intentions um, whether we agree that the United Nations should have time to do it whatever we think and feel I think it's really important for us to communicate with strength and respect to each other and for each other, and knowing all the while that the United States of America is in a very dangerous posture in the world, as we always are, but it's really acute right now. And I implore the listeners of this show and anyone within the sound of my voice to become the best Americans we can be. So I want to pound a note of nationalism and just say that um, our humanitarianism, our, our love of peace, our uh, understanding or lack of understanding around the world around us are ours to debate, to, to uh, struggle with, and, uh, and, and that is our privilege as uh, free people. I just want to remind us all that we're on the same team and the world is listening. Uh, I've been asking a lot of other people, thumbs up or down, would they support the president? I won't answer the, my own question because I can't at this moment. I don't know if I was a member of Congress what I would do. I'd have to listen to a speech tomorrow night and try and make more sense of what is happening uh, right now in international affairs. Um, so that's it. Thank you all, um, new listeners and old, for your attention. And please, again, go to Facebook to uh, listen to all these interviews with Robert Deneen, Mike Kay, my friend Matthew Modine, uh, Julia Davis, um, Buck Sexton, um, and, uh, and, and, uh, and the rest. Thanks very much. You're listening to the Toad Hop Network, radio worth watching.